Canuck Central Thursday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah live from Rogers Arena, the setting of the Canucks and Arizona Coyotes tonight. A lot of uh, potential revenge storylines for this evening, Sat, and we are a presentation of Grip Auto and Tire. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Yes, uh, the Canucks and Coyotes, the trade of the summer, the mega deal of the summer with all of that money changing hands. Louis Erickson coming back to town, but also... Uh, Oliver Ekman Larson playing against his old team. And the player we want to focus on today off the top of the show, Connor Garland playing against his mm-hmm. old team, who's had, uh, well, let's just say mixed reviews during his first season in Vancouver. Yeah, and, you know, he started off so well, right? And we were all so incredibly impressed by his play, and it really looked early on that, yes, the Canucks made a pretty big, risky trade, but at least you got a player that can produce and gives you a lot of exciting hockey. And then from that point on, and when Boudreaux took over, it's been a bit of a downward spiral. However... Just like the Canucks are kind of giving it one last chance, one last go uh, at trying to make the postseason here, it seems like he's making a big late-season push to show, hey, listen, I I am more than what I've shown through that mid-season swoon. I, you know, I've, I've got a lot of thoughts about Connor Garland. Um, he is one of the most fun players to watch. I think in the NHL in general. Like, mm-hmm. when he is... When he's on the ice and, and he's got the puck... It is so much fun to watch. We talk about it. We kind of laugh about it sometimes. But I think it's perfectly displayed in that pass he made to Elias Pettersson at the end of the Vegas game that almost sealed it before Shea Theodore tied it, of course. But the way he spins away from two defenders, draws them in, Mm -hmm. draws their attention, leaving Elias Pettersson wide open in front of the net – but in that spin move, he's able to create a little bit of space and be able to get the pass out in front of the net. That, like, These are the types of things that make Connor Garland an exceptional hockey player. Well, he's so good at winning those battles along the boards. But one of the criticisms, and this is something he talked about as well, about trying to get back to his success earlier, get to the net a bit more, get to those dirty areas a bit more. He does undoubtedly succeed along the walls, and he's really good on the outside. And when he's at his best, he's able to do what he did the other night, which you mentioned, is win those battles behind the net, then put the puck into space and find an open guy in a dangerous area like he did Elias Pettersson. But he himself sometimes has to get himself into those dangerous areas a bit more. But the issue for Connor Garland, Dan, hasn't been a lack of production at even strength. Because when you go through his even strength production, it does it is pretty favorable um, compared to the rest of its teammates so far this season. So yeah. when you start going through, you know, what he's done and you're looking at his rates and everything, it's not like this player is not producing at even strength. The, the real, I guess, lack of production has come on the power play where he is essentially been banished to the second unit. Yeah, there there hasn't really been any special teams. Um, bonus for Connor Garland, and, mm-hmm. and that's something. When you're making five million, when you're making five sheets, how do you impact the game on different levels? And he has been a good impact. He has brought a positive impact at five on five. I don't think there's really any other way to slice it. It's kind of like a facts only, right? Yes. <laughs> you know, Connor Garland has been good for the Canucks five on five. I mean, 
just go through the numbers. Uh, first assist, he leads the team by a healthy margin, 16. Next best is 11. It's kind of fascinating that uh, J.T. Miller uh, only has nine first assists at five on five, but that's where we're at, and doesn't even have as many total assists at five on five as Connor Garland does, but also the 13 goals. That is super impressive, second on the team behind J.T. Miller. So here's a guy who's producing as well, if not better, than anybody else on the team at even strength, and... It, it almost makes you wonder, are we thinking about this too much? Because here, like, there, there's real production here. How much more can you ask out of a player that isn't getting a ton of power play time, that isn't asked to do anything on the penalty kill? How much more can you ask for this player to produce when they've been arguably the best on the team at producing Five on five. Well, the only player with a better point per 60 rate at even strength has been JT Miller yeah. this season. Number two is Connor Garland on this team. Now, the ice time, uh, he also, when we start looking at how much have these players played at five on five, of course, the defensemen are the ones that rank quite a bit higher, but he is number four as far as forwards are concerned yeah. when it comes to even strength ice time. Now, guys like Horvat, Pedersen, and JT Miller have anywhere from 50 to 120 minutes or 120 minutes more played at five on at even strength than he has. So it shows you he's been utilized as a second-line player on this team, which is fine, and the production has been fine for that. The question, more than anything, comes down to, number one, special teams. Yeah. If you're utilizing a guy, are you utilizing him enough? Is he going to be good on the power play does that, does that exist within his game and does he have a natural fit as a duo with somebody else because as good as he was the other night with the plays you mentioned that line was Horvat and Pedersen really that night yeah and Garland contributed here and there but it was really Pedersen and Horvat for most of that game creating and generating about everything he got his assists but yeah there were moments in that game where uh, you, you hardly noticed Connor Garland's impact outside of a couple of plays in the third especially like you mentioned and yeah. you give him a lot of credit for it but who's the duo that he playing with and the bigger question has always kind of come down to where is the fit is he utilized as a third guy in the line or can he be a duo with somebody else and how much faith do you have in him also being part of your power play and that's ultimately the question. It's He's a good player. He's going to give you just enough production. But are you going to utilize him enough for a guy making $5 million? That's probably what this is all about. <laughs> no, it is what it's all about. Because Garland, as, as we've just outlaid for you, has provided. He has produced for this team. But most of this conversation is about fit. How does he fit? Where does he fit? Where do you get the most impact out of that $5 million? And I think the question mark that the new front office is asking itself or has been asking itself, and they've been doing this with every player, is can we better utilize that cap allocation? Mm -hmm. Is there something that fits what we want, what we would like to build, more than what this player currently does? He did a really uh, candid interview with uh, Harmon Dial of The Athletic, which uh, you know was really really well done by mm-hmm. Harm, and you know there's even a moment there. If I'm here next year, he he seems to feel like there is a lot of question marks about his future. Yeah. But the question is, how do you find his best fit 
on this roster? Where is his best fit on this roster? And ultimately, the question does come down to that. Now, if you're a cup contending team, you can pay a guy $5 million not to be on your power play or not play your special teams for yeah. you. Because, hey, you're, you're looking to uh, win and you'll pay a little extra for some guys that play those supplementary roles. And we can sit here and say he deserves a more of a chance on the power play. And I think we can con- we can we can definitely have that conversation because when I look at his production at on on the power play, it hasn't been good. The best rate he's had as far as points per sixty on the power play in his career was in Arizona, the final year he played there at four point three. Four point three would be good enough for him to be about one hundred and seventieth in the yeah. league so far this year. So a very average Still, production. Uh, yeah. In the, the the lower percentile of players on the power play. Yeah, it's not even the mid range. Like the, the highest guys are like uh, Panarin. They, they're about ten points per sixty on the power play, and then you get to the midpoint is like pretty good, five to six. Anything below that's kind of average. Yeah, it's average. That's his best, four point three. Now, Brock Besser, however, the past four years, this year is a four point seven seven, which is yeah. better than four point three, which is a high water mark for Garland. Four point one seven, three point six, three point six six. Yeah. So a guy like Brock Besser hasn't been considerably more productive points-wise per 60 on the power play than Karna Garland has, but he scores at a bigger rate as far as goals go. He's been at almost three goals per 60 so far this season. So that's where he's shown his value, scoring goals on the power play. But even so, the past few years, Besser, outside of his rookie season where he was spectacular, had almost eight points per 60 on the power play, with 4.27 goals per 60. That's the last time he had a really good season on the power play. Well, Besser never really, well, lately hasn't been in a prime scoring position on the power play either, right? Those have gone to Pedersen, Miller, uh, obviously Hughes is the quarterback up top, and then Horvat as, you know, the trigger man in the bumper spot. Besser has been the guy looking for tips, causing traffic in front, but, you know, the way the power play runs, even when it's going, he doesn't get a ton of puck touches mm-hmm. uh, the way that this unit is run. So with that in mind, you know, I think about this and, okay, if this team, at least the top of the roster, is mostly intact going into next season, which we know there's a lot of doubts, but even if it, as it's currently constituted, and Brock isn't even here, they still didn't go to Connor Garland on the power play, top power play unit. Why would you when Alex Chason's playing the way that he is? But what would what would Connor Garland's best spot on the power play be anyways? Bumper you know? spot. Doesn't shoot well enough. That's the problem. Because when you look at his overall playmaking ability, his smarts, his, how dynamic a skater he is, and how shifty he is, he has all the makings save the shot to be product to be a good bumper player because he's also a right hand shot which is what you need to be in that bumper spot it opens things up for you it's just not a good enough shot and he also talked to Harm about how he needs to improve his shot heading to next yeah. season and if he does that perhaps that's the spot where I would like to see him play but how likely is it especially if the coaching staff comes back that he gets utilized in that spot let's just say for argument's sake hypothetically Besser gets traded who comes in and takes that spot in the bumper spot for him? Is it going to be Connor Garland, or is it more likely? Or for instance, um, Besser is playing net front half the time. Yeah, they just keep Horvat in the bumper spot. They can put uh, JT Miller net front if they want. Yeah, and they can either go two defensemen and put OEL in. Yeah, or between Connor Garland and Vasily Putkolzin, who would you rather have on the power play next season? 
recency bias after seeing Pods score the other night. Um, look, Pods just has the better body to play net front. Yeah. And I, I can see a lot of value there. He's a smart player, can win pucks down low. He would be the guy I would prefer net front over Connor Garland. Well, let's say, for instance, it's um, – so Besser goes, and that makes more sense, for instance, put Coles and comes and takes a spot net front. Let's say, for instance, argument's sake, it's Miller that goes. So then yeah. you have the half wall on the left side open. Kind of Besser the guy that comes there. In. Besser could go there. Yep. And then you can put put Colson back in on net front if you want. Yeah. Or you go two D men and put OEL in there. Or you put Besser into the bumper spot. Yeah. And you put put Colson in net front and put Horvat on the other you side. Still don't have a spot for Garland. Where is Garland playing again? So so my question here is, where? How many players are you putting ahead of him on the power play next season? Yeah. Because just going through this process, even if you take a Miller out or a Besser out, either one of those, we just we just went through the exercise. The obvious answer isn't Garland. No, I I don't see a spot for Connor Garland on the top power play unit. Like I don't. Even if there is some shuffling um, it, with the roster next year, and Garland isn't a part of it, and he's here come September for training camp, I don't expect Connor Garland to be on the top power play unit. I just don't. I don't. I don't see where there's enough spots that are going to open up. And as you pointed out with the production, I, I don't see why you would do something like that. I think Besser, it's hard to forget Besser's rookie year and how he was on that left half wall and not imagine him being successful if he finds himself in that spot again in the future. There's a lot of question marks about Besser as well, which we've gone through in the past. But I just don't see that spot on the top power play unit for Connor Garland. And I wouldn't be surprised that next year they at least experiment with having OEL and Hughes, both on the power play as two demon. And I don't mean having OEL play the half wall, yeah. you know, like you did before. Having a more traditional setup or getting more creative where, where you utilize Quinn Hughes potentially on the power play. Well, if you lose Miller, you could use Hughes on that left half wall as because Miller's been such a big quarterback you from can have, that spot. It's unconventional for a defenseman, but he is shifty enough. Yeah. But is his shot good enough to be a threat from that angle? Not really. And that's where the kind of problem comes in again. And and that's ultimately where the issue is for Karna Garland. Because half the time, Horvat's playing that bumper spot. And what, what does he need to do? He essentially gets open in the spot slot and he needs to have a good shot and he scores. And that's where he's really effective, right? Just kind of bumping out and shooting. And if you're looking for a guy to play that spot, you want him to be a good finisher. Because yeah. that guy's going to get open in the middle oftentimes to shoot the puck. His place in the bumper, too, um, you know, you think about second pucks, you know, being able to win loose pucks, keep them alive, and keep zone possession. Yeah. Uh, that's one thing Connor Garland does really well. I just wonder, Sad, if we are, if the club in general is overthinking it with Garland. I, I, I understand, but what are we overthinking? To me, it comes down to a very simple thing here for this team. For a team that's in transition, he's a really good player. Is he a complimentary top six guy? And if he's a complimentary top six guy that you don't use on the power play and you have for four more years and has some value, is he best utilized here? I don't even know if it's overthinking. I I honestly think it's just coming down to the fit. And part of it comes down to who else goes. Now, if there is a world where, say, two of, say, Miller, Besser, you know, Horvat, and those guys, like, say, two of those guys go. Yep. Well, then maybe things open up and shift enough that Garland gets featured and now you got to use him in a different spot. But just going through the process, like, who are you playing him ahead of that's currently on this team? 
And if you're not playing him ahead of, say, five other forwards, yeah. then if he, if he is, by utility, your number six forward, and he's making five, does that make sense for where you're at? It, as long as his five-on-five production keeps up, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Because he is producing a five-on-five. He's got 13 goals. He leads the team in assists at five-on-five and has been the primary assist guy on a lot of those. He's not getting, like, cheap second assists. He leads the team by a by five, by mm-hmm. a healthy margin in primary assists at five-on-five. So the production for me has been there, like, you know, how valuable is a 50-point-ish player when they are not playing top power play minutes? You know, where most of their production is just coming at even strength. Yeah. That, to me, is still quite valuable. And I do think that there is a more consistent season in Connor Garland. You know, he was on pace his final year there in Arizona for a 65-point season. Um that's damn impressive. And there wasn't a ton of production on the power play, as mm-hmm. you mentioned, with where his numbers were at there. So it's still a conversation for me of this guy is producing in the role he has essentially been given as a complementary top six winger. And and that's all fair. But he's playing about 90 seconds less than he was playing in Arizona. In Arizona. So almost playing 18 minutes a game. He's playing six, just over 16. Yeah. So, it's, you know, it's, it's almost two minutes per game that he's playing less mm-hmm. in Vancouver than he did in Arizona. So it's hard for you to score 65 or be on that pace if you're playing 16 minutes a game and not featuring on the power play. And that's ultimately what it is. And I see people texting and saying, don't you need to know next year's roster? The point being here is that even if you, even if you say, let's take one of those forwards out, is yeah. Garland the guy you're moving up? And that's the question to me more than anything else. It's is that fit going to be awkward? And we talked to Yannick about this too, because see other people mentioning you know play Garland on the second power play unit. He is playing on the second power play unit, but with the way this power play unit loads up the first one, they play over a minute each time. Yeah. The second unit barely gets any kind of ice time, and they're not really productive this year either. So I don't think the issue is on the second unit. Let him do whatever. That's fine. They just don't use that second unit enough. But we'll talk to Yannick too coming up in a bit and kind of get his thoughts on Garland as a power play player because he's mentioned in the past that he's not quite sure if his skill set translates as well on the man advantage. And and I know we're boiling this down to the power play, but that's kind of what I think it, it, it ultimately does come down to, especially if you're keeping all those guys. Yeah. Again, like if you're getting rid of a couple of, say, Miller and Besser, maybe there's a world that it, where it makes a lot more sense. You can utilize them and you can use them and get a lot more out of them. But if those guys are staying, or at least one of them is staying... How does that guy fit in? Because it looks like a guy on on ELC and Putkolzin might be a better fit on the power play next year. Our uh, live listeners coming in with some comments on the Dunbar Lumber text line, 650-650. Horvat is the only one who works in the bumper spot. They've tried the others, but Bo is the only one who gets results. Garland is okay, but he's not built for the playoffs. I think that is... Um, basically just a knock on his size, which uh, is not a proper way of looking at things when it comes to playoff production. There isn't a large enough sample there anyways. No. I know they played in the bubble, Arizona did, uh, but I don't exactly know what Connor Garland did in in that series. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, 
I don't know how effective he was when it comes to his point totals or anything else, but people said that about Patterson. And the best hockey we've seen Patterson play was in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, he only played those eight games in the play-in that year, and what they knocked off Edmonton, wasn't it? Yeah, they they won around. They won around. They beat Edmonton. Well, they they got into one the play-in round and got into the postseason. Nashville. Nashville. He played eight games, had two points, and averaged twelve minutes ice time that year. This wasn't last year, year before, obviously, before he took a took a step. So there isn't a lot of track record there, and obviously a very small sample for it. I I believe he can be successful in the playoffs because you see him win board battles he's willing he battles but he can't stay on the outside as much in the postseason and earlier this year when he was having more success he was getting to the net a lot more he's got to find a way to get to that area a bit more consistently and if he does then I think he can be a productive player in the postseason I do believe and and we talked about it yesterday those those games against St. Louis where the team and OEL you know critiqued uh, they they just worked harder than us they got to the the difficult areas better than we did you know, when those criticisms have popped up, uh, I think Garland is one of those players that um, has been in question when it comes to those certain question marks about how this team plays in those big games against really good teams to get to those hard areas. But uh, we saw the other night that uh, the Canucks played pretty well against the Vegas Golden Knights. Connor Garland going up against his former team tonight the Arizona Coyotes we're going to have a lot more on uh, on the game have, uh, as uh, pregame starts up after six o'clock we'll have John Garrett and Yannick Hansen joining us in the five o'clock hour an early edition of the mailbag is coming up after 4:30. so if you have some questions uh, send them over as soon as possible via the Dunbar Lumber text line and we'll try to get those in I feel there is, you know, there is the blank slate of the offseason and what's going to happen, which pieces are going to move where. Obviously, you know, when we've uh, Patrick Alvine and, and his team are going to look at a lot of different options to try and make the team better. Uh, the, the rumor mill was a plenty with thoughts about Garland and Besser and. Miller, basically everybody on the roster has been through it to a certain degree. But I do wonder if, you know, one of the decisions is Garland or Besser. And that's a tricky one because Garland, you have the cost certainty and you know is going to be a little bit cheaper. Essentially, this moment right now with Besser out of the lineup it's kind of a sneaky big one for Garland because he's getting a chance to pretty much prove he is the he is a top line, top flight right winger. He is, and at even strength, you know, he's yeah. he's getting that type of ice time. But I mean, Chason's playing in Brock's spot on the power play. Yeah, you know, it's not, it's not Garland coming no. in, right? With, with Besser being out, net front and, specialist Alex Chason, and he's done terrific at, yeah. at it, right? I mean, he, we we talked about his production on the power play this season. He's been more than more than fine for a guy making seven hundred and fifty k, especially when you look at his points per sixty at the power on the power play this season. The question here is, in the eyes of the Canucks, and Connor Garland has four more points than Besser, but he's played five more games, but Besser has 19 goals, Garland has 15. It comes down to usage. And, again, yep. if Besser goes, depending on who the coach is, Garland may not be the guy that steps in. So if it's Besser or Garland, they're not even comparable as far as how each guy's being utilized. So if you're Vancouver... 
Are you feeling like it's better to sign Besser to a contract worth, say, $6 million and use him playing 19 minutes a game like he yeah. is, be on the first unit, or pay a guy $5 million to not be on your first unit but still be a good player for you? Is that difference of a million dollars potentially enough for you to keep Besser over Garland? Because, again, and I don't mean to you know repeat myself, but the reason I keep coming back to this is if you don't feel like you're going to utilize him or use him exactly the same way you use Brock Besser or forward like him, then he's not going to be Besser's replacement long-term. A uh, couple of final comments on this coming through on Twitter, at DanRicho underscore at Satyar Shaw. Uh, this one from Ryan, gone in the summer, referring to Garland, and Abu saying, if they can't get close to what they paid for Garland, then you bring him back. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's similar. You probably won't be getting that same thing back. Somebody texted in and saying you're forgetting Hoaglander. We haven't forgot about Niels Hoaglander, but Niels Hoaglander hasn't, at least under Boudreaux, been given any real... He's not a power play option. Right not now. so far. And yeah. we'll see down the road if he is or whatever. Right now, he hasn't been. Put Coles in is starting to get some. You start looking at him net front, and is he a guy that makes sense net front potentially? I can see that and based on how Boudreaux's used him more. That if you're looking at a young player that can step into the first unit one way or another, is put Coles in. That's the guy to keep an eye on. And maybe that's, you know, late season-wise, you know, developments that we talk about. Not only is Patkosen showing that he could, you know, play a bigger role next season potentially, do you feel comfortable enough that he could play on the power play for you next year? Where you're like, you know what, we'll take our chances with this kid and see what he can do next year. There's another layer of Garland, too, in he leads this team in shots as well at 5-on-5. Five five. He's taken 160 total. That's uh, almost 30 more than the next best forward on the team which is Tanner Pearson, which is kind of surprising. Um, But you think about that, and his talk about improving his shot over the summer, if he can add even more goals to already being one of the better five-on-five scorers for this team, I mean, that's the kind of player you you want, you kind of need. I am on team keep Connor Garland, and I think there is a fit for him here long-term. Here in Vancouver. Dan is standing for his man, Connor Garland. Short guys got to stick together. <laughs> Little guys unite. <laughs> it is Canuck Central. Number two of Canuck Central. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw here live at Rogers Arena. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler. A proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. We are joined here in the... Jim Robson broadcast gondola by the one and only John Garrett. How's it going, Cheech? Jean Garrett. Jean Garrett. <laughs> when I played in Quebec, this is a good story. I played in Quebec for a year, and uh, I happened to play pretty well in one mm-hmm. playoff series. And uh, Dan Bouchard got sick, and I had to go in, and we beat Boston. We beat Montreal. We weren't supposed to beat Montreal. And Dan was great, seven-game series. Mm-hmm. And then we go into Boston. We lose the first game. And he gets sick, he food poisoning or whatever. We get beat 7-2 the next game. I'm in. <laughs> so we go back to Quebec, and, and Dan's still sick. So, uh, you know, I, I'm playing. And it's John Garrett that, you know, the square head <laughs> and all these uh, derogatory remarks. And, and then I got on a little bit of a roll. And we won the next three games, and all of a sudden I was Jean Garrett. Jean Garrett. <laughs> Jean Garrett. The Guardian debut, Jean Garrett. Oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a, they're putting respect on your name finally. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and then I lost the game, and then it was John Garrett again. John Garrett. Yeah, was <laughs> so your honorary Quebecois only lasted yes. the three yeah, games. Yeah, so. it lasted. So, so you win, and you're like a French-Canadian goal. Yeah, right? that's it. All, yeah, that sudden. was it. I was John Garrett. <laughs> I always wanted to ask you about your masks, Cheech. How did you come up with the idea to just basically have the team logo as your mask? Well, Greg Harrison, uh, who did a lot of masks, and yeah. uh, there's a – 1987 or whenever the Olympics, 86, the Olympics were in Calgary. Yeah. What was that, 88? 80, yeah. Uh, Atco Company printed a beautiful uh, uh, kind of a poster of masks, and most of them were Greg Harrison. They, Cheevers was on, and Jock Plant, and there was, yeah. a, but there was mostly Greg Harrison ones, and they're all uh, great artwork. And he was, uh, is, he's still alive, uh, a real master. Uh, and an artist, and uh, he came up with uh, Jimmy Rutherford's first yeah. uh, Detroit one with the wings out of the eyes. Right, and, yeah. Uh, My Fighting Saints one it was kind of similar mm. to that. It had the wings. And then uh, when the team folded and uh, I went to Toronto, and I was in Toronto, and he lives in Toronto, uh, the Toros. And yeah. so he came up with a with the really nice Toronto Toros mask with the flames out of the nose and everything. <laughs> it, it was really good. And then uh, I got sold, myself, Ken Linsman, Mark Napier, and Rod Langway, and WHA Hockey as, yeah. at his finest. Uh, <laughs> and here's another good story. Uh, Did they actually sell you for money or was it for credit? <laughs> no, here's, here's the story. Uh, I'm the all-star goalie in the WHA yeah. in 74. I guess it was 75, 76. Anyway, we're in Birmingham, Alabama. John Bassett is the owner of the team. Mm -hmm. And it's in August, and there's all these rumors that the team's going to fold and all this kind of stuff. And uh, he calls me in the office, and he he said, you know, I I know you've heard all these rumors and everything, but if we have a team next year, you're my goalie. I got sold the very next day. (laughs) The very next day. And uh, he sold a bunch of us. Uh, as I was saying, the, there was a, those three, and uh, you know, and he sold us for a, enough cash uh, that he brought in Rick Vive and mm. all those uh, baby bulls, uh, right. Pat Reagan and Michelle Goulet, and all those guys. He brought in those guys, and he sold myself and Langway and and Linsman and Mark Napier. And so, well, anyway, then I <laughs> let's get back to the mass story. Very wait, next wait, day. Wait. I, I just couldn't believe the very next day. After, oh, yeah. If we have a team next year, you're my goalie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. God. Did you so, get a percentage of the sale? How does that work? No. No. You get sold, and it, it, I got sold for 250 grand. Well, that's actually not too bad. Not back then. It was yeah. pretty good dough. And naturally, I got none of it. And naturally, <laughs> my contract, oh, yeah, well, we have to have a new contract. Yeah. You know, in the new team, you've been sold. Yeah, yeah. okay. But anyway, uh, and then in Hartford, the logo fit. Nicely on the Whalers yeah. mask, it looked good. And then I got traded to the Nordique, and the Nordique mask again with the logo, it it yeah. worked out really well. And then I got uh, traded from Quebec to Vancouver, and Vancouver was in Toronto. Yeah. So I got traded on a Thursday, and so I'm in Toronto on the Friday to meet the Canucks. And Greg says, uh, "I can do your mask." Yeah. Before tomorrow night. That quick. And boom. And I had the, I had the Vancouver match. So, awesome. yeah, yeah, it was good. Uh, the great John Garrett. What a story. 
Many stories. We've already got oh, three yeah, stories in the first five stories. minutes. This is incredible. Uh, it's story so- time with Cheech <laughs> yeah. and Booth. Yeah. Who would have thunk? And all these old names. Yeah. And I got to play with Gordy Howe. And, and in Hartford, and this is, and not many people think of uh, yeah. Bobby Hull as a Hartford whaler. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah. But there he was. I play I, like, that last. I remember him as a Jet and a, and a Blackhawk. Yeah, but at the end, he got traded to Hartford, and we had uh, Gordy Howe, Dave yep. Keon, and Bobby Hall on the wow. same team. And there I am. And it's like Sesame Street. One of these things doesn't belong. <laughs> <laughs> One of these things are all together. Yeah. It's uh, John Garrett uh, joining us here on uh, on Canuck Central. Well, I mean, the, I, I'm looking at Greg Millen was the other net miner. I mean, you won. I mean, Millen had a lot of wins one did, year in 55 starts, and you had five and 16. So you almost had as many as he did, but you played like 16 games. Yeah, uh, Greg didn't come until later. Uh, in then, 82, 81? Yeah, that, uh, Al Smith was there to start with. Mike Visor was there, and then... Uh, and uh, wasn't Ken Holland a goalie there too? Yeah, I Ken Holland yeah. was there. His, uh, <laughs> I was a backup for Ken's <laughs> one and only start. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then uh, Greg came and uh, Larry Plo, who had gone from player to mm-hmm. coach GM in one fell swoop, right? Uh, signed Greg as a free agent, and it, it was uh, anyway. That's another story for another day. <laughs> well. <laughs> I'm taking I'm taking you in net and I'm taking you on, on our broadcast team, Cheech. So uh, over Greg Millen any day of the week. Uh, uh, <laughs> and it was funny because uh, nobody thought we were going to make the playoffs the first year. Yeah, and uh, we did. Uh, Mike, nobody thought we'd be able to score. And Blaine Stoughton got fifty, and Mike Rogers had a hundred points, and uh, so we we surprised a lot of people. And you look back and. Uh, the WHA really got the runaround when yeah. they merged. They could only mm-hmm. keep two guys. Yeah. Uh, and uh, within five years, the Oilers were a dynasty. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the last year of the WHA, when there was only six teams left, uh, the four that merged would have been in the middle of the pack, and Winnipeg and Edmonton would have been in mm-hmm. the upper echelon of the NHL. It's uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, um, love going down memory road with, uh, with, with John Garrett. <laughs> okay, there is a game here tonight. There, yeah, there is, okay, there is here a game you here. The Coyotes uh, are in town. So, how surprised are you that this uh, this Canucks team has been able to keep it going for so long? I mean, how many times have we said they're done, they're out? Yeah, it's, it's the yes. season's over, the march is on, and here they are, yes. eight games to go, and. Still, uh, still alive. It is. It's a delight to see. And I, I thought, okay, when the start they had, they got sixteen. Yeah. First two months of the season, October, and November, five games. That's yeah. it. Sixteen out of forty-six points yeah. in the first two months of the season. Yeah. I don't think they had an uh, an overtime or shootout loss either with uh, with Travis as coach. Well, they, it was just so they were, and I thought, okay, when they made the coaching change and. Uh, it was time. There was no doubt about that. And uh, I thought, well, okay, if the team is trending in the right direction, if they're playing well towards the end of the season, they don't make it, and they chances are they weren't going to make it. But now the yeah. chances are they could. They could. Uh, you know, there is a chance. There's yeah. a chance uh, with eight games left. There's a chance with yeah. eight games left. And uh, that really surprises me. I thought they'd play better uh, and with – 
Elias and uh, him playing better, and Bo has just been on fire, and JT and uh, Thatcher Demko has been absolutely great. Uh, I thought they'd play better, and they have, but I didn't think they'd play as well as they have, and I think it's a great sign for next season. Seeing Elias Pettersson... After the slow start he had, and it's kind of like it, it kind of encapsulated the team how he how he performed earlier in the season. Clearly, now he wasn't healthy and all that. And with the way he's played now, we've had a discussion about is he actually is this the best that we've seen from Pedersen, or is this just him getting back to what he was before? I know he's playing on the PK, but what are you seeing from him right now? Is this the peak of what you've seen, or do you do you kind of still think there's a there's a bit for him to go to get back to where he was at in that second mm-hmm. season, especially? Well, that first game in Vegas, that was one of the most dominant games I've seen any player play yeah. in a while. Yeah. I mean, that was uh, vintage Elias or better. Uh, he was really, really good in that game. And uh, then back here against Vegas again, he yeah. was he was as good, not as good as he was in Vegas, but just about. In that second period, he was uh, yes. incredible. Uh, and you look ahead and you say, well, okay, he can be. A dominant player, and that's something that uh, at the start of the year and with the injury and all this, you wonder, you wondered mm-hmm. whether, okay, he's going to be good. There's no doubt about that, but it, can he be a dominant player? And I think he's proven he can. Well, the one thing about Pedersen, and we saw it the other night, you know, I feel like when he's going, when he's feeling confident, when he's feeling good about his game, he can play physical. We saw one of the first shifts the other night, he threw a couple of hits, not extremely physical, Cheech, <laughs> but, you know, he'll he'll throw the reverse check or something like this. He's never going to be the biggest guy, but he can play at least a little now, bit Now, do you think he could put on 20 pounds? I think he – I don't know about 20 pounds, but he needs to put on some weight, yeah. I think he – I mean, so he's 6'2", and he weighs 180 or so, whatever yeah. it is. So you can probably pack another 15. But also, I just want to ask you this, from body composition, he's also very narrow, like yeah. kind of narrow hips. Yeah. Is he ever going to be a guy that – well, no, you know what I mean. He's yeah, a narrow yeah, guy. I, I you know what I mean. mean. Like yeah, he's a, yeah. he's a narrow guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I know what you mean. Like he doesn't have the broad shoulders and the barrel chest. And yeah, I, I get where and you're even going the, with even this, guys even like, though you didn't. Uh, <laughs> well, for instance, very well. Yeah. <laughs> but more about just you know just how his build is. I mean, yeah. no, even if he gets a bit stronger, is he always going to be a guy that looks a little bit awkward with how he's just kind of long and lean? Yeah, and I. Uh, uh, I think that he's he's at the point where, uh, to your point, yeah. that he reads the play so well. And he, he sees the guys coming so well that the reverse hits. And yeah. uh, the guy's a little bit off balance, so, yeah, I can hit him. And uh, that's where I – is he going to be a strong guy? And He's never yeah. going to be the strongest guy in the league or anything like no. that. you know. He's But his timing is so good and his vision is so good. And but he's not getting knocked off the puck as easily as he was early in the season either. Am not as easy. That? Not as <laughs> no. easy. No. No. I, but, uh, again, I would say it's his confidence and his yeah. positioning yeah. and how he feels about his game. And I think that was uh, a little bit of the frustration at the start of the year and looking to the referees to draw penalties and and the things that come when your game is not yeah. at the peak that you want it to be mm-hmm. where you're not controlling the play and you're chasing it a little bit and I I think we saw that in the first couple of months him and uh, him and Bo finally have some some chemistry it took him a, a few games once Pedersen went off to the wing but the other night you know they were really dominant 
uh, it felt like. Yeah, and, well, they're both smart yeah. hockey players. They both can read off, and uh, when it starts to go in, I think that's something that... Uh, yeah. Goals give you confidence. Yeah, yeah. that's it. That's it. Oh, what do you think of, and this is going to be absurd, JT Miller is cooled off? And he has 13 points in his last 13 games. And that's him kind of cooling off right now. He, he looks like he's not moving as well recently. Do you think he's banged up or something? He's still productive. He had an assist the other night, yeah. and like I mentioned. But does he seem like he's behind the plate just slightly recently? Nah, like the other night, he, how many chances did he have? And, and I think, like you say, he's cooled off. Uh, and he's 13 points luck, 13 Your yeah. luck runs out <laughs> yeah. after a while. And, and you watch guys that get on a tear and everything goes in for yeah. them. And, then, and JT was on a tear like that. When he had that, what, 13-game streak, yeah. everything was going in. Uh, he had a couple chances the other night, and you could see him look skyward and then yeah. go and bang a stick. And, uh, and the expletives go yeah, flying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, when you're on a roll, they go in. And yeah. he had a couple that over the crossbar and, and just missed the net well, or for instance, hit the goalie. These last 13 games, he has 13 points. The previous 22 games, he had 37 points. Nuts. Yeah. So I mean, it's 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 his cooling off is still a point per game. It just shows you how astronomically high his production was. Exactly, exactly, and uh, the <laughs> puck luck just <laughs> catches up with you yeah. eventually. And he's still a point a game. Uh, Vasily put Coles in. He's been the talk of the town lately. How uh, what have you seen developing in his game here? Well, uh, his drive and his ability to carry the puck to the net. Yeah, uh, body position. He he's a good skater. Yeah. And that's what not just speed, but he's a good, strong skater. And you can see him lean in uh, to defensemen, get the shoulder in front and lean in and then uh, drag it to the net, drag players to the net. He's going to get finished to his game. And I think that's where, uh, like right now you see him and you say, oh, man, you know, yeah. he, he does uh, the things that you want. But once he gets that finish to the game, you know he's going to be at least a 20-goal scorer. Yeah, it's just like – the confidence is at another level with him right now. And it feels like he's understanding when to use his abilities more. Yeah. He's understanding when he can use his body mm-hmm. to get the body position, uh, his speed. He knows when to have that burst to get a little bit of extra space. It just just feels like he's it, something's just clicked for him as a rookie. And the, yet when he gets to the net, yeah. then you see then you see the yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And I think that's what's going to change in his game it, yeah. is – uh, like you say, he's got that now where, oh, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. I can get to the – oh, I can go around this guy. But then once I get in on the goalie and it's not going in, even his goal the other night. I mean, yeah. that – yeah, he's wide open, it, it, easy tip, and he gets a break. It's off the post right back to him. <laughs> yeah. But that's one of those where it's got to be in. a good scorer. Yeah. You're hoping that it's six inches inside the post, not off the post. Yeah. Right. Now, before we let you go, final question actually goes to our text inbox, unsigned, but says, please ask John if he, see, if he has seen any shot as fast as Hull's. Gump Worsley said you couldn't see it, you could only hear it. <laughs> well, and back then, uh, unlimited curves. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, Bobby would, ri- you watch old highlights of Bobby Hall and Eddie Jackman, and Bobby would rip run one around his head from a bad angle at the start of every game and then uh, and no masks and the equipment was lousy and right. you're getting bruised on every <laughs> shot and uh, Bobby would have Eddie's head up in the rafters and hit the far post <laughs> right along the ice the next shot in and uh, he could really shoot it and uh, I played against him more in Winnipeg and they just uh, they'd set it up when they had the power play it was 
okay, let's just go to center ice and start over again. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah. Uh, how much did you like Vladdy's uh, performance last night? Oh, unbelievable. Three homers yeah. in Yankee now, Stadium, all right. And we were just talking about it, and Murph and I, and old school baseball, you would think after yeah. two home runs and a double, <laughs> the, the next time up that yeah. he's he's looking at a little taking, chin music. Yeah, he's taking 93 in the back. Yeah, <laughs> but the game has changed. Game there has changed. Uh, Cheech, you're the best. Thanks for this. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, there is John Garretts uh, joining us here in the Jim Robson Broadcast gondola. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, 